I think like everything you should lead by example in life I'm not I'm not a preachy person about this like yeah I'm, you know I can be full on when I talk about it because I'm passionate about it but when I'm in a touring situation it's like people it's not like oh god it's so hard for me to be vegan where am I going to eat I'm the one that bounces up the tour bus in the morning or off the flight going right I have this restaurant that we have to try or make sure this has you know hummus and veggies on the rider simple stuff and they're like oh god she makes it look so easy so let's go over there and she's got a lot of energy <laughs> so it's it's leading by example and just not being like you said you you meet people where they're at and great if they join you if they join you meet you halfway fantastic hi everyone you just heard from tanya o'callaghan this week's special guest on the veg talk podcast so how is everyone doing i hope you're well I'm sorry that it has been a couple of weeks again between podcasts, so I thank you for your patience. We've had some pretty big things going on personally, uh, which I will get into probably next week. Uh, My parents are also visiting from Australia, so we've been up in Vermont checking out the fall foliage. It's absolutely beautiful. So now onto this week's episode. Tanya is an amazing human being. She has been an animal activist from a very young age which completely blew me away. I mean, making the connection before your fifth birthday and having the confidence to stick by your decision is something pretty special. In addition to Tanya's tireless dedication to animals, she is a professional bass player, currently touring with ex-Guns N' Roses drummer Stephen Adler. We hear how she's cultivated this passion of hers into a career, traveling around the world, and ultimately making the move from Ireland to Los Angeles to live. I think we can learn a lot from how Tanya approaches her life. So please enjoy the show, and I can't wait to hear what you thought. All right, guys, everyone, we are here today with Tanya O'Callaghan. Nicely pronounced. (laughs) Perfectly pronounced. Straight out of Ireland into Boston today, and she's had a really hectic day so i'm thankful for the time she's given up we're um out here just in in norwood mass having a having a tea and a chat so thought we'd chuck on the mics and and record it for everyone so welcome to the podcast thanks for having me and thanks for coming to norwood of all places (laughs) yeah uh, it was a nice drive catch me on the road (laughs) (laughs) no it's um yeah really cool to have you uh big shout out to vlad Yes. From Organic Grill. Thanks, who, Vlad. You're awesome. And he so is a burgers. ripping person and he, yeah, he helped to tee this one up. It came together pretty quickly. So, yeah, um, yeah awesome to meet you and have you here. So, yeah, growing up in Ireland, it's always fascinating to hear people's kind of background story and, you know, what they grew up eating and what the family dynamic was like. And, you know, from what I understand, you've decided to switched to a vegetarian vegan diet pretty early and I'd love to hear the thought process of a, a young girl in Ireland saying you know no yeah. I'm not I'm not gonna I refuse to eat that yeah I was very young um and it was just a total innate instinct to me because from as far as I can remember I loved animals more than I could ever describe so yeah I'm from a, a small town called Mullingar and it was you know very normal nice childhood I just was obsessed with animals and I just was always so drawn to them that I spent all of my time from when I could stand up on my own two feet like you know running after people's cats dogs we always had pets whatever and at about four 
I made the connection first and it kind of, you know, I had this image in my head of, oh my God, that's where meat comes from. And then my brother was actually the catalyst for it, which in hindsight is the best thing he ever did. It's kind of funny because he told me when we were sitting at the dinner table, I was maybe, you know, five, six at this point, like, and he really solidified it for me. There was a field behind my house growing up that had cattle in it. And I used to think they were all my pets. So I named them all. And he said, you know, that's Daisy on the plate. And my brain just exploded because the Daisy was my pet cow in my mind, even though the cattle weren't ours. So when he said that, I just had this like mind explosion. I was like, what? That's Daisy? (laughs) I got so upset. And I was like, I'm never eating meat again. And I just refused point blank. And my parents were like, oh, shit, what are we going to do with her? Because I was like very stubborn and I still am to this day. That's a trait that didn't leave. So, yeah, that was it. I decided basically on the spot that I was never going to eat my animal friends again. And so at that time in Ireland, in a small town, there was a lot of misinformation about diet, as there still is. (laughs) And um, my poor mother, you know, was told I'd be very sick because, you know, I I have a protein deficiency or I she once got told I'd get rickets, which is the strangest thing ever because it's a vitamin D deficiency. I, was gonna, I don't even know what that is. So. <laughs> it's nothing got yeah. to do with protein. But anyway, so it was all this like misinformation coming because, you know, everyone in the world still has it in their heads that, you know, we need. Of course, we need protein as building blocks, but no one had the information that you could have it from a plant source. So. You know, she was afraid that her tiny daughter would like get super sick. And you're obviously so young, you're still growing. So unbeknownst to her, you know, I would be fine. But she tried to like liquidize chicken into my potatoes because it's Ireland. So it's like meat and potatoes and veg is like a stable diet there. Stew, everything Mm -hmm. like one pot stuff. So I remember tasting like potatoes and soup and being like, uh, tastes like chicken. (laughs) What's happening? So after a certain amount of time, anyway, my, my parents kind of realized, oh, she seems fine. Like she's running around playing, seems very healthy. So they just, at some point, like my dad found veggie burgers in the local grocery store and that was it, game changer. And that was it. She's going to be a vegetarian. So yeah, I was, by the time I was six, I was like a full fledged little veggie and I didn't notice, or I didn't know what vegan was. There was really no such thing like small town Ireland, even vegetarian was like, what? So I was the only like vegetarian in the village. <laughs> I mean, I can imagine like to to this day there would be, you know, villages that probably yeah, don't like know what you're a what. You know, exactly. <laughs> I'm yeah. sure that's still still going around worldwide, and it you know it absolutely yeah. is. But yeah, that I mean, for me, that's just um, that's an amazing amazing story in and of itself. The fact that it at four years old you can have this connection you know on your own and really dig the heels in as well and not yeah it's it's like my dad always jokes if youtube was a thing back then i'd be one of those kids they put the videos up of but this was pre-youtube you know crying about eating animals but it just it's not something i ever had to think about for more than a second once i made the connection because i was like hold on a minute an animal has to die for this. It just was like in my little four-year-old brain, I was like really confused. Mm. And then because it's separated, it's like you see the animal and then you see meat on a plate. Uh, you don't know about the process until you grow up a little. But I just connected with it super young and that was it. And, you know, here I am still alive 25 right. years later. No protein <laughs> deficiency, still no kicking on. No protein deficiency. <laughs> no, yeah. that's, that's really cool. So 
from there, I mean, from a young age, you've got this foundation where, you know, you've made this decision. How does it evolve from there? Like, so, yeah, I just, you know, then my parents are kind of like, okay, she's going to be our little vegetarian daughter. So that was it. And then, you know, my whole, through my, you know, young years into my teenage years, I was just always the vegetarian girl in the school. And it was like, oh, we have to get a vegetarian option for this child. And it was just, you know, it was completely normal to me. I didn't know what vegan was. There was no real, like, differentiation that I, I'd never heard of a vegan. So it wasn't until my teens that I met a vegan in Dublin when I was a teenager. And I was like, whoa, this dude is like, Jesus, what's going on? He, he literally looked like Jesus. It was hilarious. <laughs> he was like the depiction that we all think is Jesus, you know, long hair, very hippie. And he told, he started to tell me about, it. he was my friend's friend. He started to tell me about the dairy industry when I don't know, it was like 15, 14, 15. And I was like, what? Cause you know, it's like, but milk is okay. Cause cows have to be milked. And he's like, yeah, but you know, the veal industry and the babies have to be taken away. And I was like, what? So then I went down that rabbit hole and pretty much was like, okay, I'm out. But you know, I never, re I never drank milk. I never ate yogurts. Other than cheese being on stuff, I guess I was already a vegan bar things here and there. So it was a fairly easy transition for me. I just had more information. I was like, okay, I'm good. I don't need anything that comes from an animal ever again. <laughs> so there wasn't real, there wasn't a big defense there on the on the dairy industry side. No, you were happy to just I move on. I am very much an autodidact and once I want to learn something I'll like get every book on it and I want to like self-educate as much as possible so I I learned about it and I went and I read everything and because I loved cheese as a teenager you know like just cheese pizzas and whatever and I came I went through a phase of like oh if it has no rennet it's okay or if it's organic and then at some point I was just like I'm just kidding myself like what and I just made that realization and I was like yeah, I don't need it and then I actually got into studying nutrition and then I got really into like mm. you know the molecular structure of dairy and then I was like Ugh. I started learning about casein and what goes into the food and what gets pumped into the cow etc etc so th it's like an image change your taste buds like kind of take a step back when you know what's in food so I was like yeah it's easy so you know obviously at the very start there's like a few slips per se like you know reading a label or whatever but I'm, I'm also not like trying to be I was never like oh, I have to be like the perfect vegan mm -hmm. yep <laughs> it was just like okay this is my journey now and I'll figure out and then I've always been into food so that helps so I'm not like a fussy eater so I got super into food yeah so it's been fun and food's evidently not boring I love food yeah like, yeah <laughs> Yeah, it it's my favorite. It it's, yeah, it's yeah. my favorite thing about touring. Like, obviously, I'm a full time musician. I tour all over the world, with a bunch of different bands. But I love so much that I get to like go into these new cities and countries and towns and wherever I am. And I have all the apps, and I'm on Happy Cow and Yelp, like figuring out. That's how I met Vlad. I'm like on all the apps, you know. Yeah. And yeah, just like the excitement of getting into a new place and trying new food, and also like challenging some new places to like make what might be like non not vegan friendly make a vegan friendly version of it and mm. i've had such a wonderful time eating all over the world it's like my best memories from like south africa and south america all over you know in asia and europe and it's like amazing because food is like you know the the one thing that humanity can get together on i agree yeah everyone's happy to get around the table yeah. and, and, and share a meal cruelty free even better yeah and i mean from traveling all around the world you've been able to 
you know, bring in different cultures mm-hmm. and still experience their food. Yeah. Just as you said, a cruelty yeah. free, cruelty free version of that. Exactly. Yeah. It's really fun to like see what people eat all over the world. And it's not like in a judgmental way, you know, but you can go into a situation because I've been doing this pretty much my whole life. I'm not here to judge anybody, but it's fun to like open the conversation and be like, you know, well, actually we have a lot more in common and this applies to most things in life. We just like to fight about, you know, the one thing we don't have in common. (laughs) So when it comes to food, it's fun because people I think have a tendency with any dietary choice to be like, oh, you know, I'm vegan or I'm paleo or I'm carnivore or whatever and like separate each other but actually there's a lot of foods that we all eat and we have in common so it's like how about we start from there and then like okay i won't have that part and you know so it's been fun with travel to even just go into restaurants and ask the chefs like politely it's not like hey i'm the annoying vegan at the table but i've actually had some of the best meals of my life in steakhouses because they always have fantastic fresh produce if it's like a high-end steakhouse because on tour that happens a lot where they call like meetings or whatever and it's usually a steakhouse and everyone's like, sorry, it's a steakhouse. I'm like, no, I'm good. This is like the best vegetables ever. So I'll just ask for all the sides or ask the chef if it's a nice place. Can you make up something with all the veggies? I'm not fussy. No problem. And the chefs usually like the challenge. So yeah, that and I've had like some amazing meals in like fish restaurants in Cape Town because they, it's you go in and everyone's like, oh, we're so sorry you won't be able to eat here. I'm like, look at the menu. I look at it as like a whole plate. I see what the ingredients and dishes are. Like, it's so easy to make a dish here. And most of the time, the chefs are like, cool, yeah, we'll do something yeah. different. So that's fun for me. Yeah, I think that's a huge um, a huge thing to have, you know, understanding of. Mm-hmm. Whether you're, you've been a vegan for years or whether mm-hmm. you're exploring it right now, being able to go into a restaurant that isn't, you know, a mm-hmm. vegetarian, vegan restaurant and being able to navigate the menu yeah. and then asking the chef politely you would be surprised they're more than i remember being in far north queensland at like a a bowls club Mm -hmm. and that's the last place you'd expect a chef to um you know play around with the the menu right you'd expect very you know steak fish um very meat heavy at least um up there (coughs) and yeah we we just called in before we went and he pre-prepared it awesome. and more than happy to do it. Yeah. And it was an amazing meal. And it was just like an RSL club. Awesome. Like, so, well, see, sometimes yeah. you're, especially if you're in a situation where there's a very kind of generic menu, and a, sh- a chef is an artist, like a chef who's, you know, food is art in itself. So the chef is like, oh, cool. I get to do something different today. It's all in your delivery. It's like, you don't want to be like banging on the kitchen door saying, hey, I'm a vegan or a vegetarian or paleo or whatever your dietary choice is make me something it's more about hey look wow you've got some really beautiful fresh produce here can you just give me all the sides because that's my default on tour worst case scenario everywhere has sides so there's Mm -hmm. veggies and like potatoes or fries or whatever all the sides put them on one plate cool done (laughs) Done. yeah but it's a big thing is navigating menus yeah because you're not always going to be in a restaurant that suits your dietary choice so. you're not always going to be at organic grill you're not no. always going to be I wait, well i kind of would be dangerous because it would be like slowly ballooning like yeah <laughs> like bad still jokes because i eat so much food everyone's always surprised at how much food i can eat so they're like you're kind of little i'm like that yeah no i eat like a horse yeah and he's like putting out plates of food and it just keeps going <laughs> like dude i will eat you out of this restaurant yeah no i'm the same <laughs> I, I i've always been a thin person yeah. as well 
you get away with um, a little more being vegan it's like push yeah. the boundaries I've, I eat just as much, yeah, if not more. Oh, I eat more. I'm like, yeah. it's hilarious how much I eat. <laughs> yeah, and I just don't really stack it on. Just so. keep running around, you know? Yeah, exactly. Stay active. Please, God, metabolism, don't slow down. <laughs> the point that you, you made before, I like that, about a chef being an artist. Yeah. They want to be creative. Of course. And when you give them the boundaries of a menu, yeah. it's day after day, it's yeah. going to get... Uh, you know, a bit monotonous. Of course. So giving them that option, yeah. Um, also looking at it from that angle is, is really cool. Because unless someone just doesn't want it, and it's like you know sous chefs that don't have control or whatever, and they're like, we have to stick to this menu. Most of the time, I've I've never had a situation only for when it's in like crazy rush hour of the restaurant, and they're like, we don't really have time to edit the menu, but we can give you all the veggies or whatever minus the chicken. Like that's perfect. It's it's all about how you are. Again. Yeah. A lot of what I say is like, this applies to everything. It's like, just be nice and be approachable. Don't be like demanding. But most of the time, the chef are like, no problem. You know, it might take a little longer or can you wait like 15 minutes? But I've never had a problem all over the world. I've had some exquisite meals in places where people are like, you're never going to be able to eat here. And I'm like, give me five minutes and I'll figure this out. And that's, it's fun for me because then it's like a food adventure. That's really cool. <laughs> so you've got a very calm demeanor now. What was it like being a young vegan vegetarian girl in Ireland where you know your classmates your teachers <laughs> probably don't see eye to eye with you you know yeah. everyone's growing up uh, with the meat and potatoes the stews mm-hmm. the traditional food um, and you know the younger kids are generally not the ones to dig the heels in and ask the questions that you know ask the whys and wow yeah yeah it was interesting because my friends for the most part were just like oh you know we have a vegetarian friend they didn't really understand it everybody is always like we love animals but then doesn't want to make the you know there's this global cognitive dissonance about this you know the difference of animals but so for the most part it was just you know I was the odd vegetarian girl there's a little bit of bullying but mild I was never one it would like water off a duck's back people trying to like shove meat in my face I never understood that teenage girl stuff but I did have one teacher in home economics class who I hope she listens in because it's a story we still laugh about. But um, so home economics, you know, where you're learning to cook and sew and do all this stuff, whatever that's supposed to make you into like a handmaid's tale or something when you come out of school. <laughs> she used to suspend, try and suspend me all the time. She threw me out of class a couple of times and dragged me to the um the office because if she you know in cookery class if they wanted to make spaghetti bolognese this is one of my funniest memories at the time corn the brand had already come into ireland in my mid-teens so she would give the recipe for spaghetti bolognese which is you know mince for the meat eaters and i would just bring in all the same ingredients but bring corn which is like you know beyond me frozen vegetarian mince not say anything just come in and do it she would just hated so much she'd come over and be like this is not how you make spaghetti bolognese and she gets so angry and she would tell me I'm disrupting the class and that you know I can't you know I'm disrupting everything because I'm a vegetarian and it's kind of funny in hindsight because my character I've always been very independent and stubborn since I was tiny so it it rolled off my back luckily but it's kind of like for a teacher to do that to a young child showing compassion is actually pretty warped in hindsight if she did it to the wrong child 
it could really affect you for the rest of your life. I always just thought she was a, you know, word I can't say on the radio. But You can now. Um, <laughs> I was like, which airways? I'm, I'm actually, I've learned as an Irish person to calm down a lot on the, on the cuss words coming to America. But uh, yeah, I do remember thinking years later after I left school, wow, if she, you know, that kind of reaction to instead of seeing me as, oh, okay, this teenage girl is obviously on her own path and she's compassionate and whatever, and just letting me cook with the rest of the class because I always loved food and she would just troll me out instead. She hated it and it's, it was kind of crazy. So I actually got like suspended from my class for being a vegetarian. Yeah. I'd be like, okay, I'm going to go home. See you later. <laughs> it's crazy. So I was expecting you to be, you know, maybe a little bit more in your face as a younger girl. I um, was very yeah. much an activist. That was just school. Like, I mean, that's the thing I got... Like I worked for an animal rescue center. I started when I was eight. I started volunteering because the school brought us out, funny enough, for like a day, like a trip. And I loved it so much. We volunteered for a day that I, from eight to 18, I was there all the time. Like it was hard to get me to go to school. I would just run away to there. So I worked uh, like helping as a volunteer for almost 10 years at a rescue center in my hometown. And I learned so much from it. But that's where I really became an activist. And I started getting involved in all sorts of protests and writing to the government. But I had been, I've been doing that since I could walk. Like my mom still has really funny letters of before I could spell properly. Dear Mr. President, <laughs> dear Miss Governor, whatever it was, writing about everything from like seal clubbing to badger baiting, fox hunting. So I would write to the minister for agriculture in ireland but i couldn't even spell so it's kind of funny so they're like kid letters and the joint writing is like i don't like how you hurt animals please stop <laughs> tanya <laughs> so you didn't write to santa you wrote to the well minister actually of there's a pretty famous santa letter in my house where i wrote to santa and asked him to save all the animals and stop i think i was specifically asking him to stop seal clubbing in alaska at the time and I said I didn't want anything for Christmas, but I just wanted him to like rescue all the animals. But then at the end, I put P.S. If you want to get me X, Y, and Z, <laughs> so it's pretty funny. <laughs> That's so, yeah. Hey, YouTube exists <laughs> now. If you've still got the copy, I think you should uh, start getting these letters up on YouTube. I actually put a, a Facebook post the last time I was home because I see I found them when I was cleaning out a box in my room and I could not stop laughing because now I, I love like language and writing and reading now, but I'm looking back at the spelling going, oh my God, <laughs> it's so funny, but I'm so young. It's like I write at the top like Tanya age seven, Tanya age nine or whatever. And it's pretty funny. And my mum didn't send a lot of them because, it, like, you know, one said, dear Mr. Pope, <laughs> where are you going to send it? So I think I just put the Vatican on the envelope. <laughs> You'll get that. There's only one Vatican. But every now and then I would get a response letter from the secretary to, like, the Minister for Agriculture saying, you know, hello, we received your letter. We will um, put the topic to the minister or whatever. And I'd be like, yes, they're going to change the world from my letter. You know, it was the intention. It was cute. But that I so I started I was just doing it's just like it's not something I really remember triggering I just always was fighting the fight for animals since as far back as I can remember because I was always rescuing animals when I was like four or five six I was well in hindsight I was probably just taking my neighbor's cat I thought they were all stray <laughs> so yeah I was like always like with the animals my parents were like good lord he's bringing home pregnant cats and there's kittens and the chicken flew into the estate once and I had a pet chicken for a while and 
so once the rescue center thing came up it was awesome because there was somewhere for me to go and have that so I learned a lot from it because I had to work hard like we were there was at least 40 dogs at a time there was you know sheep there was chickens there was goats and I was learning hands-on how to essentially be a vet's assistant from a young age because we were administering medicine we were obviously cleaning up after them there was puppies and kittens being born there was you know all sorts of flus going on so I learned a lot and it, you know it really made me grow as like an independent adult because I was like answering the phone and working with the vets and so that was a huge part of my life like working in that rescue center and I continued being an activist the entire time through it so I was always involved in protests and you know like the anti-fur campaigns and being banned from fur shops in Dublin when I was more of a rebellious teenager but I kind of just over the years as you learn and grow you, you know it's better to come at these things at an educated standpoint now so it was an interesting growing up activist few years for sure well I mean you know back when maybe it wasn't as popular mm-hmm. to be you know I wouldn't say it's it's still not popular work it's I've got a lot of respect for those guys that are out there on the streets yeah. doing the activism um, 24-7. That's their, you know, that's their main gig. Uh, but, you know, if you were back then doing the fur activism, yeah. well, now we're seeing, yeah. you know, fashion yeah. shows ditching They're it. They're all and just this week. Like three more went and I just went into a Diane van Furstenberg shop today and congratulated them on it. And they were like, what? You know, the staff didn't really know. I was like, it's, a, it's really awesome that you guys are going fur free. And, you know, the, the girls working in the shop were kind of like, what's she talking about? I was like, this is huge. I just wanted to walk in as a street customer and be like, congratulations. They were like, cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's huge. So that's the thing. You feel like you're getting nowhere as an activist sometimes mm-hmm. because your emotions take over. And I still do what I can like streetwise now, but I have to be, I have to find like a balance with it because I'm also like a performer and I'm in the public eye all the time. And I want to use my platform the right way. And it's not always like aggressive activism that works to like you know open people's eyes but I did um a really hard one recently I went to a pig slaughterhouse and I hadn't put myself in that realm in a while and it's a it's it was a silent march downtown LA and then we went to the pig vigil outside a giant slaughterhouse and these activists are there every week and they're amazing and they're just giving water to the pigs Mm -hmm. before they go in but I put my live stream on as the um, trucks pulled up and it just puts you right back in the headspace of, oh my God, we still have like a long way to go and a lot of fighting to do because it's not, it's you, as you learn over the years, it's you're, you're fighting a monster industry. It's money. It's like, you know, it's subsidies. Greed. It's, like a, it's greed. It's just this monster. It's not even like the small scale stuff. It just becomes like, oh my God, we're like, we got to fight this monster. It's not like, the people working in the slaughterhouses and the people driving the trucks, it, they most of the time hate their jobs. It's not about that. You're not, there's no point in fighting with those people. You need to like, you know, the, the technology needs to speed up with these like meat-free alternatives that we need to like keep going at that because you need to basically eradicate the need for this middleman that's still there, which unfortunately involves a barbaric system for animals. So it's, you know, doing the activism, I still try and put myself there. But now I'm like trying to get involved in multiple different ways and just like using my voice as the platform I have as an artist. To be like, hey, I'm, I kind of like to use humor and education so it's not as scary and because pre- people think vegans are preachy. People think oh, anyone with like a big opinion <laughs> is preachy, you know, whatever it is. But it's, you know, there's no point in me fighting with 
like a lot of my friends and family are obviously meat eaters not i'm not going to hate them <laughs> it's like we can meet in the middle no pun intended <laughs> like have a healthy conversation and for the most part people are inherently kind and people don't eat meat because an animal is killed they eat it in you know despite that fact so when they learn about it more and more and most people start to have their own awakening and it's like you know these alternatives that are coming out are just incredible because we have more and more options and most people are like well yeah if it tastes the same great it's you know it's about getting the taste and the textures right and if there's no need for the the middle part which is cruelty unfortunately hopefully we're on our way (laughs) swaying the other way and I think it really is you have to find the optimism because it gets frustrating as an activist you see you feel like nothing's happening and nothing's changing but then you see all these companies and you read the you know the growth of sales and you read the percentages of vegans and vegetarians and plant-based diets on the rise and you're like wow okay this is cool and I think that's important as activists to encourage people and meet them where they're at instead of like trying to be like everybody go vegan or I'll never talk to you again it's about okay can you can you do like a couple of me free days a week awesome or like come check out this vegan restaurant because people will go on their own journeys. You got to meet them where they're at. It's, uh, I'd say it's almost a skill now to be a really effective activist. Yeah. It's almost like being an effect, effective salesperson. Exactly. You're not going to, to be an effective salesperson nowadays, it's not bang the phones. It's not shove it down their throat. It's meet them where they're at mm-hmm. and provide a solution mm-hmm. uh, for what they need. Yeah. Um, so the same thing yeah if this person is really not ready yeah. and you're sensing that yeah you go with the one exactly. meal a week hey, the, you the one come, day a week exactly you want to come for a meal with me at yeah. organic grill exactly <laughs> have a burger yeah exactly and yeah. then they're like wow it was really good but that's the thing it's like you it's exactly like you said it's being an effective activist because unfortunately and this applies to many different lines of activism but a lot of activists can be detrimental to the cause and it's not out of badness it's just like i i understand that level of passion because i was there and Mm -hmm. i was like frontline where the police are there and you're like oh this is going down hard and you're like willing to throw yourself on the line but it's not you're not getting the other side to see they're just seeing the mania so Mm-hmm. growing up and getting more educated in it and like using your platform and just meeting people where they're at is way more effective and even like I see it with my own family because although they'll say I'm still preachy when I'm with them like compared to when I was a teenager you know I was like crying and shouting at them about having meat in the house and now I like go home when I'm able to pass through Ireland or you know I have time off tour and I'll cook awesome food and my family have embraced that a whole lot more and they're practically vegetarian because they're like oh and you know they read their own information on and they're like oh yeah she was right actually that's interesting but it's not like shoving it down someone's throat whatever that is you know politics religion whatever it doesn't work because people just forget in all walks of life we have so much in common that we forget about we just want to fight about the one thing we don't have in common and we keep doing that i really like that yeah i think that's um we were talking about Joe Rogan before yeah. Um, when we were off air and yeah, there's a lot of people that don't like him because of what he does I with love hunting and stuff. I think it's yeah. a fantastic podcast, number one. It's fantastic. It's very easy to, you know, create this vegan echo chamber yeah. on social media where mm-hmm. all you're hearing is 
you know, vegan this, vegan that. And yeah. It's, um, I get it a lot, like, and it's off. And again, obviously, like, I'm, I stand with all activists and vegans, but I actually have gotten a lot of, like, lashback of some heavy activists who are like, how can you say, because I'll post a podcast that I like, mm. and they're like, how can you support him? Where A, I just love the podcast because it's such an educational platform. It's such a giant Broad. spectrum. But I also love like neuroscience and nutrition. So I listen to it. He's got some amazing his brain. Like, I mean, Sam Harris and all these guys. Are you kidding yeah. me? It's like my favorite podcast because you never know what's going to be on. It's like a WWF mm. guy. It's a neuroscientist. It's a nutritionist, whatever. But as far as him being a hunter, it's not that I agree with it. Obviously, I don't want anyone to hunt anything. But the fact that he goes out and kills his own meat... I don't like it, but he's not going down to the store and supporting factory farming. That's where the problem lies. If everyone had to go out and kill their own meat, most of the world would go vegan very quickly. That's the reality. So if you really want to eat it, go kill it yourself or raise it at least, you know, and do be involved in the process. So I respect that level of what he does. I still don't like anything being hunted and killed, but... I respect him for being like, you know what? Fa- he agrees with us that factory farming is like the worst thing that ever happened. It's the, you know, the animal holocaust is going on every day behind closed doors. And we just ignore it because there's shiny packaging and everything's pre-done and you don't have to think there's about it. There's a barcode it. on it and you can yeah. just, yeah. So again, and then the, all these fights. And yeah, he slags and jokes about vegans, but he does that about everybody. And yep. if you can't, you know, you know, joke about yourself or have a laugh, like we're screwed, humanity's doomed. Yeah. We have to be able to find humor. And maybe, sure. th- maybe that's like just the Irish in me, but we have, you know, it's like we got to be able to laugh about these things For because sure. we're just detrimental to our whole activism cause if we can't at least joke and have a conversation with each other, even if we have like diametrically opposing opinions. It doesn't matter. We can actually, there's going to be something in common, so. And he actively wants to find that common ground he's he happy to have yeah. guys like rich roll on he's yeah. happy to have dr joel khan on Absolutely. for a debate the other day yeah um so yeah i'm, I'm with you on that one yeah um, i think it's way healthier is, it's just yeah. a healthier platform to have how we all come up on this platform and talk about we're not going to all agree we're never all going to agree on anything in life but if it, if he brings all these educated people on which he does from all walks of life and i respect them all because you know anyone that's studied that deep into their um their own whatever their path they're following it's it's respectful and if they're coming to a platform like joe rogan they're able to have a healthy debate i think that it's it's very healthy for us as listeners as well because that's another thing when you're younger and you're an activist you're only seeing with blinkers on what you believe so something i've done over the last 10 years is learn everything i can about every diet and it's not like i'm a a practicing nutritionist but i just I, i love to read and i'm a nerd anyway so I want to know everything about all the different diets and all so that I can have an opinion and not just be like, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. You know what I mean? Because maybe I'm not on something. So we need to like talk about that. So it's I think it's it's better for us all to have a conversation. Right. A, a multi-way conversation that like goes further. Be open to listening as <laughs> opposed to just chucking out the information that you think you know or... Yeah. If you listen to someone else, you're going to learn a whole lot more than yes. if you're talking. Yeah. Well, what's that great saying? I always forget how it goes, but it's like stupid people talk too much and smart people say too little or something. <laughs> it's so true because a lot of times because we live in this age of like information, people read something that they 
agree on like or they think they do and then they just regurgitate it yeah. but they don't take it for gospel and they, yeah it's and fact. it's like that's fact and yeah. you're like okay hold on a minute yeah no, <laughs> so you're right it's, it's it's really interesting we live in an interesting time we do we we, <laughs> we definitely do and there's some people out there i don't really want to go into it too much but they fully understand that mm-hmm. and they use the platform for that exact oh yeah and that's you know, a whole other podcast that's a whole nother <laughs> podcast but yeah, it's it's definitely being used for many positive things. Yeah, of course, um, of course. But many negative things at the same time. I want to just kind of tie up a few uh, a few pieces that you were talking about before with with activism, taking care of animals, mm-hmm. and also meat eaters. So, do you think bringing you know a meat eater to a, a place like a farm sanctuary? is a beneficial experience for them in I any do. way. I do. I've brought a couple of my friends to farm sanctuaries that are, you know, al- almost just like the friends that like want to joke with you most about the fact that they're like cavemen or whatever. Um, so I'll bring them because it, it's it's always good. It's not like, oh, I think I'm going to convert you or anything. But I, I think everyone, no matter what way you eat, you should have the information because it might not sink in straight away. But people don't realize the little things like, especially with dairy people have no idea that the veal industry exists because of dairy and they're like well and you know most people are like veal is weird because it's like a baby animal for some reason we're you know weirded out by certain things so So, why does it exist well basically it's a surplus it's like a byproduct so your calves you know obviously the cow has to be pregnant in order to lactate so they keep impregnating them time after time after time so when the calf is born they're like, well, we're not going to give the calf the milk because the humans want the milk. So it's a really horrible, really barbaric industry when you think about it. So they artificially inseminate them to start, which is always another thing that a lot of people don't know. It's like cows are going out and finding life partners and breeding. It's like no factory farmed animal is ever meeting a partner of their species and willfully breeding with it. They're all artificially inseminated. So this information tends to like blow people's minds. They're like, wait, what? Like, yeah, there's a guy with a syringe that is, sorry to be very crude, but like sticking his hand inside the animal and artificially inseminating with bull semen. And then the cow is pregnant. And then, you know, she goes through her gestation and the calf is born and the calf is taken away because it's like you can't give the the product that makes them money to the calf. Some farms... And, you know, there's a lot of farmers and dairy farmers that kind of get aggravated by this conversation because they're like, we don't take the calf or they stay for a couple of days or a couple of weeks. You're like, yeah, but at the end of the day, in order for us to have the milk, the baby calf at some point, usually in factory farms within the first few hours or first day. And then the veal industry pops up because it's just like young, tender meat. And in order for the meat to be tender, the calves are put in these little crates so that they don't move, so that they don't build muscle mass because they want the meat to be a certain way. So, but also because the first like 48, 72 hours of any baby infant's life, you need the mother's milk for nutrition. They need to get like they, their whole microbiome has to be built up. Like, so they're so weak and so sick and they don't move. And it's, it's pretty brutal, but people have no clue that this happens. Like, and why would you, unless you just, you know, like us, you go and educate yourself in it because once you know it, you're like, hold on a minute. I don't want to support that. And most people, if they know it or find out, they're like, yeah, that kind of sucks. I don't know if I want to support that anymore. So it's, 
it's definitely beneficial I think to go to places like farm sanctuaries because it's these like information bombs that people just genuinely didn't know and you know I'm an optimist and I think that most people are inherently kind obviously we have some crazy people out there but people are inherently kind and they don't want to do harm they've just been like marketing is genius you know we we never see this it's always behind closed doors you know these sheds out in the middle of nowhere and you know Car- the carolinas is the worst for mm-hmm. hog farming it's so sad what's going on right now we've just had a hurricane come through and now you've got it's yeah, horrific you know what they're not talking about on the radio or on yeah, any of the news right. all the water is contaminated yeah Yeah. and you do you know about that no unless you research it they're not telling people that all these hog farms have spewed out into the water system all these dead pigs and all the fecal matter and all the antibiotics yeah so i'll just give you a quick visual so imagine you know large sheds tens of thousands of animals Mm -hmm. occupying these sheds Uh, they've got no gestation crates yeah so the the mothers are in gestation Mm -hmm. crates they can't move um they often lie on their babies because yeah, they, they go have, crazy because yeah. they're very smart. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. Very smart animals can find, and yeah, it's obviously very unnatural mm-hmm. for them to be in this situation. So yeah, they go crazy. I mean, uh, cannibalism is like a yeah. a side effect mm-hmm. of of really putting these animals through this. Their waste goes out into these lagoons and they're they're not treated it's a it's an open lagoon like Mm -hmm. you would have a lake in Mm -hmm. nature now a hurricane comes in and you get floodwaters what happens with an open lagoon that you can't control now the levels are higher the water comes in so all of that lagoon which is an unbelievable amount of fecal matter and urine from hog farms and on top of it just being fecal and urine, it's all the antibiotics, all the steroids, all the dead carcasses now because they didn't even like open the cages, which is really warped. So that's that's the other part of it. It's I found I, I so this is like I suppose the first time I've paid attention as a vegan mm-hmm. to natural disasters and, yeah. and farming. And they lock them in the cage yeah they're told to because they can treat it as an insurance write-off they're seen as property they're not seen as a living being so it's like replaceable property so it also looks worse if all the bodies float to the top so you will have seen footage on the news of like some pig bodies floating to the top or a lot of chickens because and poultry have no rights they're just like considered non-being it's really sad but the pig farms are so bad because it's so concentrated and there's so many of them, tens of thousands, like in these sheds across these vast spaces, but, you know, far from the main road. And instead of like that one, you know, I would just think on human nature, let's just open the cages so that they have a chance like everybody else running from it. But no, so, you know, it's not only are they confined all their lives, but then they have to like drown this horrible, miserable death. But the what that's the thing, it's like, wet, irregardless if you care, but not everybody cares about pigs. You know, I learned that a long time mm. ago. But you've got the planet, like the environment, like, you know, there's places in, in South Carolina where I'm sure you've seen in like clips from What the Health and that, where the people in the surrounding areas from these hog farms are really sick. And I've toured all of the South 
and I've seen it for myself, like just the poverty level in this. They're always in areas that are super poor areas, always, all these farms or far, far away from, you know, civilization out in the middle of nowhere. But the people's like rates of asthma, cancer, all these things, it's like really like clear as day obvious that this is infecting the air, the water. So it's much more than not everybody cares about animals. Like I would consider myself an ethical vegan. Not everyone's going to be an ethical vegan, but it, you have to care about the people that are living in this. And so by buying these products and supporting this industry, I understand not everyone's going to be like the poor animals. If this is about humans, this is about the environment, it's about the water, the air. So now after this horrible hurricane again and all these people being displaced and, you know, they're going to start rebuilding and that's all good but they're not talking and they're not telling people the water is kind of screwed from this because the people at the top have more power and they can squash it and just like shh put that aside and you know it always affects the super poor areas as well which is heartbreaking but you know that's why after such a tragedy like this I really hope people wake up and see this footage because why would you rebuild this system again because all of that is literally for the love of bacon and that is like, I just feel like banging my head against the wall because I say this all the time. People are like, but bacon, you know, and it's the common comment on all the vegan posts. But I have to have bacon. Bacon is people addicted to salt and fat. It doesn't matter what the carrier is. We're addicted to salt and fat. You can put salt and fat on anything. That's what it is. It's like, but this industry exists because people love bacon. And it's ridiculous. It's just, it's actually almost laughable. It's like, really? Look at all this. It's so detrimental to the health of the people working in it this is the thing this is like the farmers have a shitty job mm. and i've talked to pig farmers before and i've been in in slaughterhouses part as part of activism and the people in it are suffering because they're usually really badly paid jobs and you know a lot of it is undocumented immigrants so they can't really say anything and then the you know that to work in that environment just mentally is not good so it's this is way more than do you care about pigs as much as me this is so much bigger like and it's just it's so disrespectful to the people that have to live around it work in it so it's a pretty big issue so it's kind of like overwhelming but i'm hoping that you know in the age of information we spread all this people listen because we have a tendency to be like i don't want to look i don't want to see it and that's the thing i think the 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 reluctance to scratch the surface. Yeah, because once you open that can of worms... Then it's very... As simple as that. Yeah. Dig into the natural disaster. Mm-hmm. Understand what they do with the waste. Mm-hmm. Understand the relationship between the locals and the farms and the health of these people. Yeah. And that's going to turn you off. I would hope so. Yeah. Because if you can't empathize with someone who is you know, going through serious health conditions because... They have to live beside these of giant a farm. farms. Yeah. That's the thing. It's, it's a human rights issue at this stage. It's so much bigger than... That's the thing. It's like people can joke about it and do the whole like butt bacon thing all day long. But this is like, really? Like, if you know empathy for... But it does take people just... You know, you have to be bigger than yourself and just be like, okay, I'm going to read this article. And I'm going to, you know, and at least take that step you don't that's not that you're going to stop overnight with all the habits but another thing that i'm very passionate about talking to people is you we all work very hard for you know very few of us that are in the top one percent so we all you know work hard to earn our money but we have very little understanding of where we're putting our money and what we're doing with our every day is a vote every dollar you spend all over the world 
and people don't understand the ripple effect of by taking the shortcut and buying the meat from whatever company or the fast food you're basically paying the people that you really don't stand for because it's all like government subsidies and probably you know rallying supporting like a politician you really don't agree with. it's all like intertwined big pharma big meat big dairy all that stuff is intertwined but people don't understand what a ripple effect it has your daily purchases so it's just if you actually just wake up a little and be like actually i'm gonna start supporting local it's not like oh, i'm gonna go vegan overnight just start buying local or small farms like just those little moves make such a huge difference because people it's if they knew they probably wouldn't do it it's like you've no idea by buying that bacon you're affecting that per person's life that lives with chronic asthma beside a hog farm because your money and the supply and demand is fueling this industry so supply and demand is is everything it's like if we can stop the demand for this beloved bacon it's like you know it's it's a human rights issue it's an animal rights issue it's it's an environment issue and we just need to you know keep keep the information out there and people hopefully start to you know just step up yeah it's a it's coming from multiple industries on our end mm -hmm. i think you know we were talking about documentaries before um media is huge whether it be podcasts youtube yeah. documentaries but it's also the activism the food itself mm -hmm. the people producing these you know incredible mm -hmm. alternatives yeah um yeah i think that's all going to help absolutely in the long run but if there's any message i have for anyone is just start scratching the surface just the, the, the surface. information is there it's understand what very you're buying readable. and it's like amazing like what a time to be you know heavy talking about all those subjects but on a very optimistic standpoint like every little tiny change you make it's actually got a huge effect like it's you'd be surprised because i hear that all the time from people when they're like yeah but really like if i go vegan or if i stop buying milk is it really going to make a difference i'm like yes because if everybody does one thing it sends a message we're already seeing it it's it's amazing like you're seeing giant companies like tyson and beyond meat coming together because they're understanding and people are like oh that's weird they're like merging with the devil it's like no tyson are seeing that plant-based meat they want to sell yeah. so if the people in these mega meat and dairy industries are seeing and embracing the change it's amazing so people have to see that and so the more we buy the plant-based alternatives it's wonderful and all the milk companies and it's it's there's a lot of positivity coming from it and all these you know amazing and the food itself the fake meats like when i was growing up were just like crazy processed stuff mm. that is no better than you know the crappy meat or whatever it's not that it's good you know substantial food but now you're these companies have like pea protein that's like 100 percent everything you've ever needed in your diet in one you know fake chicken breast or whatever it's pretty fascinating and you've got like memphis meats growing meat in a lab yeah. which is a weird subject for most people i personally have no desire for it because i never was a meat eater mm -hmm. but i think it's wonderful anything that cuts out the cruelty aspect great but people get freaked out by it yeah and for those that don't know about you know clean meat lab meat whatever you want to call it basically growing Stem cells cell meat, yeah. in dishes yeah. well, i think when it gets to scale it will be more of a i've heard it will be more of a brewing <laughs> brewing like process. fermenting yeah. <laughs> burger you would think of a, a, a going on a beer brewery tour yeah well yeah. this could be a you know um a, a similar thing for i think it's great for lab grown meat but as you said it's 
there's no animal involved. There's no animal, and I understand because people go, ew, lab-grown meat, stem cells. I'm like, yeah, but it's weird when people react like that because, again, I personally don't have any desire for, like, any... Because no. it's, it's still technically meat or whatever, yeah. if it's animal cells, but it's clean. It's not laden with antibiotics and steroids and all that. You're still getting the meat that everyone wants so much. It's you're like you're cutting out the the want you know the need to use land water it just has such a huge effect the ripple effect on positivity and it's people can still have this burger or whatever but it's amazing that people get freaked out by that because when you say oh well i just you know raised a cow stuffed it full of all these antibiotics fed it corn which it, it's it's a ruminant animal it can't eat corn it's got a very complicated digestive system it cannot eat that's why it has ulcers all its life it's very sick. It dies full of you know, stress. And then you eat it. And then and that's not freaky. And they're like, yo, but lab grown meat is weird. <laughs> it's like Agreed. So it's like you got to step back and be like, OK. So and also Memphis Meats, the guy who came up with it was a cardiologist who was looking at like hearts who have like, you know, heart disease all day long. And, you know, seeing how how they would use stem cells to regrow aortas or whatever they were working on and you know he had this kind of moment of mm. oh hold on if i can regrow the valve of a heart in a human maybe i can look at this industry it's bananas so the yeah. even the people behind it like i'm like wow respect for thinking like talk about futurist <laughs> yeah no it's, <laughs> it's bananas when i heard that the first time i thought it was pretty it's pretty crazy yeah. but i've got into the topic read some books uh-huh. on it it's super interesting and yeah as you said if if it cuts the cruelty out. Cruelty environment, whatever it is, go for it. I just hope it scales. That's my only yeah. question on it. I hope it scales quickly enough and they bring the price down. Yeah, well, that's to, supply and demand yeah, again. Exactly. You need to, you know, people need to get... Because we're so, like, we're habitual by nature and culturally we're all very different and that's what makes us awesome. But it, So it is kind of scary to go into a new realm, but you have to be able to, like, push forward and, you know, be part of the... The revolution that's again like you're going you're taking by doing this you're helping people as well as animals and looking at it that way it's not it's not just about us it's like we have to stop these industries affect so many levels it's just not right it's actually hard to believe they still exist it's like really and at such magnitude yeah like, you know <laughs> they don't just exist as you said they're they're, they're gigantic oh, so it's overwhelming <laughs> anyway i think that's a really good picture of you know, your passion for for activism <laughs> and from such a young age, I'm still blown away by that. That's um, that's truly amazing. So I've, yeah, really loved hearing about that. But also, you're a musician. I am. You're a bassist. Uh-huh. And do you want to go into... I'd love to learn a little bit more about how music has played a role in your life how long it's mm. been a part of your life and now what you're doing you've got an awesome gig or you know what you do is is really cool yeah it's uh it was kind of like this bizarre 360 every obviously from all that we've just been talking about everyone in my life thought i'd be a vet or i went through a phase of wanting to be a marine biologist until i learned you had to dissect the sea life then i was like i don't want to do that I picked up a bass when I was 17, so I was very late to the instrument. I actually started playing drums a little. My hometown is very musical. There's a lot of bands. My dad is big into music, so I grew up with this, like, amazing vinyl collection in my life that I didn't appreciate when I was younger, but now I have this, like, knowledge of music through him. So I always was big into music, followed bands everywhere. I was a big music fan. Played drums for a minute when I was, like, 16 or so, and 
couldn't afford you know gear and then I got this like terrible drum kit and it was you know got a couple of lessons was like right I'm gonna be a drummer and then I uh, I left school to do a music course uh, which made my family very unhappy at the time but uh it was hilarious actually so I went into this course to be a drummer they're like oh good lord what is she doing with her life I'll be a drummer and then they didn't have an acoustic kit they had an electric kit you know those like rubber pads mm-hmm. and I started playing it and I was like oh god I really hate drums all of a sudden that was my drumming career over in a heartbeat and then I seen a local bass player play which um just he just blew my mind because I'd never thought about bass I'd seen you know people play guitar all the time and I'd seen bass players but I'd just seen like people playing like rock bass or whatever I never stood out but this guy was playing like all this beautiful melodic harmonic really cool like Jacko and Primus and all this really cool stuff and I was like, right, I want to do that. So I picked up a bass, 17, 18, got really serious about it, like 19, 20, because the first year or two, you're sort of just learning how to hold it. And I'm pretty much self-taught because there was no bass teachers, but I just got so into it. I was just so into bass straight away. It just resonated with me. I love rhythm, time, feel, everything, everything rhythm associated, I was always into. So my timing was naturally good from the start, which is something is kind of innate or not. So it suited me to be a bass player. And yeah, I just got so obsessed. I started playing in bands within the first three or four months of playing bass. And my cousin let me join his heavy metal band, Severed. And we were so heavy. It was hilarious. I could barely play. So, you know, that was how I learned. They handed me a bass and they're like, hey, you know, it's in drop B solo. And I started gigging with them and I was only playing six, seven months. I was terrible in hindsight. It was hilarious. But I played in so many bands straight away. I did that. And then I was just, it's all I wanted to do, just play bass like a lunatic. And it was funny because I went from being this like animal rights, animal rights, animal rights. So I was still obviously doing that. But now I was just practicing bass all day long. And then I joined a bunch of bands. And to make a long story short, I was basically in like wedding bands, corporate bands. And then I started to get gigs on like TV house bands. And then out of that, you get another gig. And I was always in multiple bands. And then at one point, this is like a very short synopsis of a long story. I was, you know, out following bands everywhere. I was, you know, still going to all the concerts. And I ended up doing a tour with one of the guys from Boyzone, the pop band. We did like a side tour with Brian McFadden, did a few shows with him, which led to like another gig. So at that point, I was officially like a session musician. And then I got to play with Sharon Kaur. And that brought me to like Dubai. And I was like, oh, this is like a real thing. People are going to pay me to play music. So I'm going to go down this alleyway now. So and then I ended up getting a recording session with Maynard Keenan from Tool. And I grew up a massive Tool fan. And I happened to meet them in Scotland at a show. And I knew one of the crew. And I got talking to the band. And he was just starting to do this um well he had actually done the side project before but he was just starting to do a new album and he was like hey it's all guests you want to come play bass I'm like holy shit this guy's like my musical idol when I was a teenager so I went out to Arizona recorded with him and after that I was like whoa okay this can be like a thing so I went back and forth between Ireland and the US trying to figure out how I could be here because you know visas are complicated and all that so it was a crazy like 360 I did like about 20 in my early 20s I was like I'm gonna be a full-time professional musician and everyone's like you're what you're gonna be a what I was like yeah let's see how this goes and here I am 10 years later still doing it so I moved to LA you know like four years ago now it's been crazy <laughs> that's unbelievable it's pretty crazy it's so cool it's so cool so you've played with 
you know, Tool, you said Twisted Sister. Yeah, well, I played with Maynard of Tool. So he yeah. has a side project called Pustifer. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, so when I came out to LA, I didn't know anybody. This was just a whim. Um, I came out and I was like, I'm just going to go out there. Didn't know anyone. Came with my bass and my back. Did the whole, like, lost musician, stayed in hostels, played jam nights. Over time, you start to get to know people. It was pretty brutal at the start, to be honest, because you've no idea when you come from a small town how expensive LA is, how huge it is. And it's like, oh, no car, no car, ran out of money fast, all of that. But every time I would go back and forth, so I would go out, go broke, come home, work in multiple bands for six months, save every penny, go back to LA, do the same thing, come back, do the same thing. I did this like three or four times. Because you couldn't work out there without a visa. So I was kind of going out just to network. This thing people tell you you have to do, networking. So what's this networking thing? So Turns you go, out you're pretty good at it. Yeah, it's like, well, really what it is, is if you're a people person and, you know, you talk and you're chatty. And I guess it's being Irish in a foreign country or whatever. They're like, oh, there's someone with an accent. <laughs> oh, she plays bass. So I would go to these jam nights and over time play with more and more musicians. And then you do a session or a gig and you do a good job and people recommend you and... You know, it's a big thing in the music industry. You'll hear people say it's all about the hang. You're just being a nice person, being easy to be around, knowing your shit, being on time, all that stuff. So you just, it just kind of slowly you climb and getting your name and it's still like a giant hustle. But then about two years into being there, I had done a big pop tour with a Disney artist, which they're usually short lived. It's like, you know, three or six months and then on to the next person. So I did a couple of those. I was always like a rocker at heart. I, I love I love all music, but I love heavy music. So I got uh, called to do the D. Snyder gig, but it was like a one-off gig. That's what I was told. I'm like, oh, cool. I didn't really know Twisted Sister, but I knew the hits. So I meet D, and it's, it goes great. And one to- one show turned into two years of touring with him. So it was awesome. And I just played on the new record as well, which is cool. He had me guest on two songs, and then. Uh, towards the end of touring with D I had started playing with Steven Adler so now I kind of like it's phasing out from D and doing Steven Adler stuff and he's the GNR drummer so that's really fun because it's like a bunch of people from that really cool era and I'm just their bass player <laughs> yeah I miss that era but I grew up listening to a lot of GNR yeah. so um that's really cool yeah amazing amazing it's, self-taught it's trip. yeah started late and you I suppose you just stick with your gut you that's a big thing and a threat and it, oh, I would say I'll write a book on it someday. It's something I've never really thought about but always done innately because I've always remember every like from when I was four, the thing with the vegetarianism, I just remember knowing in my gut. Mm. It was like a feeling. It was like, this is the right thing to do. The same when I left school because I was really good in school. I was like a triple A student the whole way across. And I loved learning and I've always been like that, but I was bored with the particular system didn't suit me because they were telling me what subjects I could do. And I was like, actually, I'm really interested in all these multiple things. You can't do that. So I remember just knowing I got to get out of here, which in small town Ireland again is like, oh, God, she's dropping out of school. Oh, no. Best thing I ever did, mother. I keep telling her this <laughs> because I would have followed the format. Yeah. I would have followed my friends to college and it would have been fun, but I would have ended up in a whatever that I wasn't passionate about so by making that big leap and following my gut again at like 17 I forced myself to jump into this crazy realm and then by deciding to really do music and not just like do it and have a part-time job I had to earn money so I had to join a lot of bands and it was it's it's still a hustle to this day it's not that's because you play with these big names it doesn't make it all rosy it's still like ongoing you know but you just get 
that you know obviously you get more known and you get you know more gigs and whatever but it's always about your gut because if you don't listen to that i mean what are you doing <laughs> you're probably just head down and doing what everyone else is doing yeah so like it's like follow yeah. your gut it's so important it's so important in everything because it's we ha- we all have that and whatever it is whether you're like spiritual mm. or whatever you believe it is that feet you just know everyone has it it's like what's r- right and wrong it's like maybe some people are more empaths than not but it's yeah your gut instinct is everything it really is yeah no it's it's true without mm. a doubt i think yeah we see it now with more of this independent media mm-hmm. it's it's easier than ever mm-hmm. to be creative yeah, for starters yeah. i think we're all creative at some point of course at some level yeah um other you know there might be people that don't see it mm-hmm. uh, themselves but i'm i'm sure there's a lot of connection between um you know the the depression rates and oh, yeah. anxiety levels intertwined with our lack of creativity now mm-hmm. Uh, from a young age, I think school designs, yeah, or well, kind of builds us to be within the lines, within stay you know, inside the lines, within your lane, yeah. Um, Which is sad because education is such an amazing thing, and education can save the world. But it doesn't mean that every education format is going to suit every child because you're dealing with very different children. And it's not that I'm anti-school at all. Obviously, I love education, but you know, it's it's. You could have a child that's going to be the person that's going to cure whatever, but they didn't follow their path because they were actually have to go over this way. It's just, yeah, every, it just doesn't suit every child. And you can't tell everyone to stay within the lines. And obviously we need a certain amount of that for like society to function. And some people love it and we need that. And it's wonderful. But if you don't really like, I guess it's like people are suppressing their artistic side or what they really want to do like when you sit down and ask someone like in a in a job that you know they hate like what do you really want to do and why are you not doing it because it's bloody scary it's not as if it's easy you know it's you come from the far side of the world that alone is scary just but i think that's a thing about being like traveled you've less fear because you've already put yourself out there so travel in itself even if someone's like i'm you know down and out and depressed about whatever job just go traveling for a minute because that will spark something in you because when you have to survive the other side of the world it makes you stronger in all aspects of life yeah 100 percent. yeah i i couldn't agree more um back to the i suppose i d- that sparked a, an idea in my head but back to the base is there any kind of genre uh that you you really enjoy i saw a clip on your site and you know i i heard a whole bunch of different yeah. genres i heard, i think i heard like some funk yeah I, i'm kind of um, known for playing multiple some rock yeah and i'll let you take the rest of it but yeah well, like i a lot you know i've done a lot of different gigs but because i'm self-taught it's like i've i've been hired into a bunch of different situations a lot of pop situations some r&b some funk um a lot of, i love groove because i'm a bass player so anything that's like groove orientated but i end up playing a lot of rock gigs because i'm also known for my performance i'm very like active live i'm not shy on stage i i love to rock out like i really do so like me i'm with the drummer 100 percent. i'm like a rhythm section fanatic so i'm up there on the drum riser you know dreads everywhere <laughs> it's fun but at the same time i love like just beautiful soul simple singer songwriter music i love it all it's it's more about like the soul of the song so it's not like there's one particular genre live it's fun 
to play heavier music. I grew up really being a metaler. Like I was big into heavy metal. Like I was super hardcore into metal. My first band was metal. I still listen to heavy metal. But I also listen to, you know, Hosier and classical music and Radiohead and everything. So I love it all. It's more about like, if it's a great song, it's a great song. So I enjoy playing great bass lines. And that, that's across the genres for me. So yeah, I've been, I've been in a lot of different bands, like drastically different bands. It's pretty funny. And has that given you the opportunity to, to try different genres that you may not have? Or have you always just had that... Um desire to learn you know different pieces of music yeah I've been like it's been pretty like as I started when I first came to the states before I had like the working visa here and I was coming back and forth I was just about to move and I got a call from the river dance company to do the quintessential Irish. Irish show <laughs> yeah is there anything quintessentially more Irish yeah the river dance so they had a new show of the river dance called harpy to home launching and they asked me to be bass player and it was a 10-piece band and at the time I was like no I'm gonna move to LA and then it turned out to be pretty cool and it was like the first real full-on tour for like months pre-production touring we did like Europe China North America so I did that and that was really daunting because everyone else in the band was a trained musician either classical Irish jazz I was like oh shit like totally self-taught other than one year I did a jazz college but it was more like an ensemble year so it wasn't like I was actually learning all the theory and whatnot so I had to everyone was reading and I can read a little I can read charts but it's not like something I studied so when they throw you this like giant pile of charts I'm like yeah I'm gonna have to learn this whole thing by ear so it was like headphones for weeks just listen listen I have to listen to the music a lot first and then I'll start to learn it because I want to get it in so that was really hard because the show was river dance plus world music. So it was still like Irish music and the bass lines were following the illin pipes a lot. So it was very fast and crazy melodies. But then we would have a scene with like a tango or a street dance or, you know, where they'd all be doing a salsa. So the music, instead of being like first chorus, first chorus, bridge out, it's like scenes and the show is like an hour and a half. So that was a big challenge musically. And after doing that, I was like, okay, I did that. I can't believe I did that. I stayed with them for like a year and a half. And then when I came out to the States, people are kind of like, you know, what, what kind of bass player are you? Like, I don't know, like a bass player, bass player. And I would just play at jam nights that were different genres. And as a bassist, it's really more about, I'm not a flashy player. I can be, you know, if needs be, but I just love pocket. I love groove. So it's more about building relationships with drummers. So I would play these different nights with pop, R&B, soul, and then rock. And if I link, you know, the drummer and me would lock in, that, that's what it's all about. So for me, I think it's really beneficial to be versatile as a musician because you can, you know, be in all these different situations and play for the music, not play for yourself. So sometimes it's the simplest of bass lines that are the most fun to play. Like I love playing rap because it's usually just a couple of notes, but it's almost, it's like this ability to not play in between that makes the groove so heavy. So that's a lot of fun. And then also like with this gene, doing the Gene or stuff with Steven is so fun because it's just riffs. I just get to play all the Guns N' Roses riffs on bass. <laughs> it's nuts. That's so I enjoy it all because I love bass. Yeah, no, that's really cool. Yeah, I, you've got an awesome gig. There's no doubt about it. Um, I wanted to get into the travel part of it. Mm -hmm. You know, well-traveled. You're, you're obviously, 
you know, you've built up this level of fearlessness, um, you know, doing what you do is pretty phenomenal. Um, and it's definitely taken some guts to, to stay on, you know, your road and what you know you wanted to do. But yeah, how's the travel? Like you've been all over the world with bands and then how does the vegan thing tie in on the road? Is it hard? Like I imagine eating eating out all the time could be difficult with guys that aren't necessarily <laughs> going to be, you know, it's, vegan yeah. or taking care of themselves um, with their diet. What's it been like? It's fun for me. Honestly, I think actually eating on the road is super easy. But again, I think it's like it's always how you approach everything because most people think it must be hard being vegan on the road i look at it in complete reverse everywhere has veggies grains of some form beans foundations there everywhere worst case it's ironic actually one of the hardest places to eat well is touring like south america or even north in north america in general because a lot of the like in the midwest and stuff all your stops on like a tour bus you're in fly dates you're in these little gas stations um, and it's like, oh, God, there's, you know, these rotisserie, whatever, all this horrible, horrible food. But at the worst case scenario, I can still get an apple, nuts and a bag of popcorn. But I will also, like I said earlier, eat the sides on a menu. Like I just I just won't eat crap just because like if, if the choice is Wendy's, McDonald's, Burger King and then the gas station with a couple of snacks it's just common sense to me to eat the snacks until, you know, a couple hours down the road, I know I can get a full meal because if I eat the crappy food, even the vegan version at these joints, I'm going to feel crap because touring is pretty brutal. People think it's glamorous, but I mean, it's awesome what we do, but it's, we all say like you're paid for the travel and all that stuff. Being on stage is the joy. Performing is the joy, but it's, it's no joke when you're you're doing 14 hour flights and then a six hour drive to play a show to turn around and do it again and then you know fly across several continents like with the Riverdance show we were doing nine shows a week there's only seven days in a week so you do the maths and our <laughs> yeah matinees evening shows our day off was a travel day so it was pretty brutal and then you know you've got layovers cancellations so you have to stay a just positive healthy it's important like bands back in the day got away with it more because the music industry was also very different there was a lot more money being poured in so you were like people were able to get whatever they wanted with the click of their finger and you know there's labels all over the bands cars everywhere now it's like pretty grueling even for some of the bigger acts like it's heavy travel it's a lot of go 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 so you have to stay healthy and for me I just can't imagine being on the road feeling like shit because it's already tiring mm. so that on top of you know <laughs> the already brutal schedule right it's just it's common sense and you know you've got control over that yeah i mean if you don't have control over yourself what do you, what do, you well, do in people, this crazy world i suppose some <laughs> people don't know they have the control of what they put yeah. in and how it well that's the thing it's it's been really funny particularly on the road with these like older rock groups because you know when i'm in the pop scenarios it's like generally same age or younger musicians and everyone's kind of doing their own thing and going through their own dietary phase or whatever but when I came into like these band it was really funny because I would have such a laugh with the crew crew are my favorite people because they're the ones behind the scenes that have the hardest job and I have so much respect for backline crew lighting engineers tour managers stage managers because nobody ever gives them any of the yeah oh my god you did a great job and you know they were in first and out last so the crew are always pretty unhealthy though for the most part obviously there's 
people out there that are smart and getting better. Mm. You see it more now because people are more aware. But some of the crew I've toured with over different bands are just that typical like middle aged, overweight, diabetes, getting this, that and the other, whatever it is, asthma, psoriasis, all diet related. So I bounce into the band and it's like, who is the little leprechaun telling us to eat broccoli all day long? And I'll just make fun with it. And I have fun with it. So I used to bring some of the guys, some of the backline crew for Twisted, who had been with D since the Twisted days. They were out with us. Hey, we're going to go. Like we went to a vegan restaurant in Bolivia and brought the crew. And it was one of the best meals I've ever had in my life in La Paz, Bolivia. Third oh, world fun. country with the most phenomenal restaurant I've been in to date. And they're all like, oh my, and you know, we're eating like a mousse bouche and a paratis, and it's super funny. It's like these big, burly road dogs going, what is that? Like pea pesto. <laughs> <laughs> but it's all like, then, you know, they go away with a memory, a fun memory of food or whatever. But for the most part, like it's it, like we talked about earlier, to go back to that point, people don't know about some of the basics. And it's not because anybody's stupid or that, it's because everyone's being misinformed and fed absolute bullshit and it's like oh, if you have a problem take this tablet and then if you have a problem with that tablet take this tablet so you, I understand because I grew up in a very different culture I'm from a small town so when I first came over here and I see the ads for tablets for you know if you have a, if you sneeze take this and <laughs> you know in order to keep eating bacon just take this tablet and it's like wait hold on a minute just like don't eat that and eat this instead yeah. and then people would start to feel better that I toured with in different bands over the years. And it's funny actually to this day because a lot of people I toured with over the years stayed on even like, you know, halfway plant-based and cured asthma, arthritis, you name it. I've had so many people I've toured with be like, Jesus, actually that really worked. Thanks. That's <laughs> incredibly simple. It's so simple. Remedy. But it, that's again, like it's back. It's your delivery. It's like, I think like everything you should lead by example in life. I'm not I'm not a preachy person about this like yeah I, you know I can be full on when I talk about it because I'm passionate about it but when I'm in a touring situation it's like people it's not like oh god it's so hard for me to be vegan where am I going to eat I'm the one that bounces up the tour bus in the morning or off the flight going right I have this restaurant that we have to try or make sure this has you know hummus and veggies on the rider simple stuff and they're like oh god she makes it look so easy so let's go over there and she's got a lot of energy <laughs> so yeah. it's it's leading by example and just not being like you said you you meet people where they're at and great if they join you if they join you meet you halfway fantastic yeah it's cool you get to take that with you and mm -hmm. i suppose do with it what you it to, will yeah. but at least you know you've passed on the information that you know and that's it if you don't you know what's the point in having it and it's a, it is an amazing feeling to be able to um you know shed some light on mm -hmm. what's really going on to someone that might not know yeah. And then they do experience these health benefits. Yeah, for sure. To see it happen in front of your eyes and then to receive the feedback. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's many better feelings than that. Mm -hmm. You've changed someone's life for the for the better. Yeah. And, it's and just, just awesome leading by them. example. Yeah, so. but that's it. Because that's a lot of the feedback you get from people you've toured with. What is literally stuff like that. Or, you know, looking at, you know, you know, John Joseph, he's awesome. And it's so cool because he has like the whole male demographic. He's breaking down that stereotype of like man and meat and this we've got meters for pussies in yeah our, oh that in our is so yeah. funny i love that book so much it's super funny i actually just did a shout out to his new book on instagram the other yes. day i can't wait to read that but i love that because there's all these cool people that because people have this idea of vegans 
and the word vegan it's just like a vegan is this it like mythical creature yeah, i don't know <laughs> what it is it's just a, it's a very harmless word it is, and it and actually means compassion well more that's or less. what's ironic when people yeah. say vegans are extreme it makes me laugh wholeheartedly so i'm like well actually like raising and you know barbarically slaughtering an animal is kind of extreme but you know whatever <laughs> whatever your opinion everybody has one but you know i i do use like the lingo plant-based a lot in certain scenarios because unfortunately p- people hear the word vegan and shut down and yep. won't like talk about it so again that whole thing with meeting people where they are but it's so important like there's all these super cool people like you know and vlad even just having that cafe you walk in and not everyone's gonna look at vlad and think you know this dude this russian dude with the cafe is gonna be like the best vegan chef ever Yay, there's another stereotype broken down. Like, this triathlon badass John Joseph is a vegan. Wow, cool. Rich Lead Rose. singer of a metal or a punk rock band. Like, yeah. he's, a, he's an awesome dude to have on on the, um, you know, on the vegan side of the fence. Of course, he's, and he's been he's, doing it forever. Before yeah. it was like a, a oh, trend yeah. or whatever. And it's I, were, I know all these super cool people in this realm where people always are like what like rob zombie is like they're like rob zombie's a vegan it's like i thought he ate people (laughs) no (laughs) even his wife are like awesome compassionate animal rights advocates there's some good musicians out there a lot it's cool it's cool and um a good good friend of mine is um the front man from sepultura the metal band from brazil and we're working on a project coming actually that's very very exciting but i can't really talk about it too much looking forward to hearing more but he's you know like a six foot four or five maybe giant muscly metal dude and everyone's like he's vegan <laughs> like yeah he's very vegan where does he get his protein from where does your protein get its protein from <laughs> exactly exactly yeah just got to keep asking those questions get people interested get them curious about yeah. those things that maybe they thought they knew about exactly <laughs> but once you you know dig a little deeper just you can open the conversation you can learn something you said you're into working with drummers. Mm-hmm. Travis Barker. He's awesome and very you, vegan. Do you know, have you worked with we him at all? We have a mil- million mutual friends, but we've never worked together yet. I'd love to work with him. That would be awesome. Um, and maybe we'll get him involved in this project that I can't really talk about, but it's going to have a lot of musicians. <laughs> he's an insane drummer. Yeah, he's incredible. Yeah. I remember watching him when I was a teenager and it, I wasn't so much, I wasn't not into the band, but it wasn't the band I was looking at. I was looking at him. I was like, wow. Cause I've all, I actually got into the Dave Matthews band because of Carter Beaufort. I was watching a drum clinic and then I was like, oh, that drummer's in that band. Same with Travis Barker. I was always into drummers. So mm. yeah, it's it's awesome to have people like that in this, you know, on this side of the fence with the compact because it's also cool it's really it's really important for the guys to speak up as well because there's universally it's mostly like the female energy it's like oh women want to you know hug trees and be vegan and save all the animals that's like a big thing and guys are like oh god you know the female vegans but it's so cool when these guys come and they're like hardcore punk dudes or metal dudes or, you know, badass triathlons or whatever. And they're like, yo, dude, it's just like me. It's fuzzies. Exactly. <laughs> like, I think we're thinking too far into it, to be honest. Mm-hmm. We do. We, we overthink it. Like, we're just everything. way overthinking it. Like, because it's this loss. It's like someone's losing a limb and it's really funny because people are so concerned about protein. But if you 99% of the time, you're like, what's protein? Silence. <laughs> You got to like learn first what that is and where it comes from and what it is and what it does for your body. And then, oh, actually look at rhinos and gorillas. You know, people will fight about that saying they have different teeth and digestive system. It's not the point. Like learning the basics, just you should just know that whether or not you change your diet, you should just know what you're talking about. If you're like, no, I need my protein. Okay, well, what is protein? 
And if you need it so bad, go and get a Beyond Burger. And why am I not dead? Like, people yeah, have exactly. these full-blown yeah. fights in my face. And I'm a pretty healthy person, and it's not like I'm sitting decrepit in front of someone. And, you know, I'll, I'll bring these friends of mine, it's super funny, to, like, a hot yoga class, and they'll fall over in five seconds, and 90 minutes in, I'm like, you good to go to another one. <laughs> I'm not dying of a protein deficiency over here. But, you know, it is, and it's not, you know, people need to adjust their diet and, you know, slower than some people. And then, you know, oh, I went vegan and I got sick. It's like, yeah, but did you just like eat vegan ice cream and vegan donuts? You can't do that. You need to eat whole foods. It's whole foods. That's what it's about. But yeah, it's, it's super interesting. Like just people fighting for protein and not really understanding what it is. Yeah, I think even, even looking back to like, I remember, you know, if you're lining up at a fast food restaurant as a kid, I never saw like protein as like an option. Mm -hmm. Like pick your protein. Yeah. Now wherever you go, no, it's pick awesome. your protein, and it's like cool. it, it's become such a buzzword. But it is cool yeah. to see like tofu as an example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you'll like, often see it under that list. Yeah. But I have to always thought that that's super strange. I think the the marketing, to your point, marketing. We just they're experts yes they are and they do a very good job of manipulating our phenomenal thoughts phenomenal job yeah. because again it's people want to feel good so you see all this branding with you know oh god okay people are starting to care now so it's ethically raised mm. cage free you really want to look into that it's not cage free they're just out of the cages but they're all on the ground now squashed in a but le move. legally yeah. they can say cage free or free range because there's two meters of space outside but you know the 10,000 chickens can't find the doggy door to get out of but marketing is genius but it makes people feel better and of course it does because we don't yeah. want to be supporting but that's why it's so important to put it out there but it is it's interesting that it's great seeing these like pick your protein I just I mean Chipotle even it's just like cool you can get these sofrito bowls now mm -hmm. there's like shredded and do all these jackfruit tacos it's so fun though with the food the way the chefs are getting involved and the food is evolving and I really love to see non-vegan places embrace it. I think that's really spectacular. Even like White Castle just right. merged with the Impossible Burger and Wu-Tang Clan just did a I big know. ad. I'm like, yes. That's pretty dope. That's epic because White Castle yeah. is like, really? And now they have the Impossible Burger. I think fair play to White Castle for doing that. And that's what, again, you have to see it. And even though like, you know, everything about these fast food chains I've always fought against, but actually I see that and I'm like, fair play to them. Come over, let's mm. meet more and like, let's get more common ground. I'd love to be in the room where those people are making those decisions. I know. God, there's a lot of vegans asking for options. Yeah. We better get something. <laughs> and what I find fascinating about all this stuff is like you mentioned Tyson. Mm -hmm. You know, Tyson go in and decide to invest in a plant-based company. White Castle decide to partner with the Impossible Burger. Mm -hmm. I really wonder what their competitors are thinking. And are they talking about it? Are they ready to move? Because... Yeah. If they don't, I think they're going to get left behind yeah. to some extent. I think that will definitely come down to the teams that the the companies have because I'm sure there's a lot of initial fighting against it, which I'm sure there's been for years. But now you're seeing these cracks because they're businesses. They want to make money. They want to sell. So they're like, okay, well, I guess the, the trend or whatever they think it is is going over here it's smart of them to go over and then 
it's it's really awesome if you see people from those type of companies being like oh okay i respect that it's going here so let's embrace it as opposed to fighting it anymore because for years what's always happened is you know a myth comes out about you know whatever the tofu is going to kill you or whatever Mm. (laughs) crap comes out generally it's based on a study that's been funded by the altering industry so it's like the dairy industry paying for a study to come out that they did themselves and if you read again if you don't read it if you don't read the small print it's like funded by the opposing company so this fight goes on but now it's kind of wonderful because it's not perfect yet but you're seeing them go okay people want plant-based milks people want protein alternatives so let's follow it and again it's better for the environment it's better for people so why not embrace it and start to merge and start to talk about it and ethan brown is great at that with beyond me because a lot of people kind of retaliated against him when that i went to one of his talks and they're like really tyson how can you work with them they're the devil but at the end of the day it's like it's better to (laughs) get on board with these people than keep fighting it because they'll try and they're bigger yeah try and squash it and I think it's awesome that companies like Tyson are seeing it. And I think it's amazing that people like Ethan are like Im- are seeing it also and being like, hold on a minute, this is a good thing. No, I think it's necessary. Yeah. It's only going to help um, on, on multiple levels. I uh, spoke about that with um, a podcast guest a couple of weeks ago. Same mm-hmm. thing. It's, it's going to exponentially help it's these companies amazing. to grow. Yeah. So, yeah, it's huge. There's another thing with like, because I come from a farming country. And people automatically think because I'm a vegan animal rights activist that I hate farmers. And I'm like, I think farmers are the hardest working people on the planet. I think they're amazing, actually. And it's such a humble, incredibly hard job to farm livestock. It's hard. Like, why not make the production line easier? Why not make the actual product easier? It's I think farmers are amazing and we should be embracing the hard work ethic that's there. It's not like let's squash and close down all the farms. It's like there's going to be a huge demand for other products. Let's embrace that Mm. and change the product line. Yeah, you're still able to farm. Yes. The product's going to change. Exactly. And I think that that's that's, that's evolution though. And some some really are, some aren't. And I understand because we don't understand what it's like to come from like six generations of whatever you were farming. And I completely understand. I've had people come at me on social media about that. And it's not a personal attack. I'm talking about the product line. I'm talking about what it does to the environment. I have respect for all hardworking people, even if it's like an industry I don't like ethically. It's not the person I have the problem with, you know, it's the the product and how, you know, how it eventually ends up. But I think it's this unity thing. We need to come together and figure out, right, we're kind of wrecking the planet here, lads. We're kind of destroying a lot of things. How do we make, or at least try to make a change and not be the pessimist that's like, oh, it's too late. Yeah, no, I think that's, we've come really full circle there, back to Ireland, back to where you've, um, you know, started your journey. Couldn't agree more. Those guys work super hard. Um, and I, yeah, I can empathize with that. If you've got, you know, your, your family dating back you know, potentially centuries and mm-hmm. you, you've been doing the same line of work, it's, it's going to be a difficult thing to give up. But yeah, I think we have to we have to go back and find that common ground. Yeah, but they're not, you know, I, I've talked to farmers in Ireland and it's, it's actually super shitty because they work super hard and a few farmers that are trying to do like, you know, the humane raise me and do everything right and they're getting up earlier and they're making sure that x y and z is done and there's more space for the animal and they're fed you know grass fed and all that stuff 
they're getting so screwed by the government. Yes. It's not, the farmers are working their asses off. And barely it's not making like, a dollar. They're barely yeah. making a dollar. So you're like, hold on a minute. I want to raise the farmers up. Why are the bloody people at the top making all this money? It's not fair on the farmers. So by changing the product line and by all like getting together and being like, okay, this is where supply and demand is going. And if even, you know, meat staying there, it should be back to small farms. Let's get that far first. Let's go back to that. Like my parents grew up like that because that's why it was so hard now in hindsight, I can understand it for them to wrap their head around me being like, don't ever eat meat ever. They grew up in a small town where you had a pig and a cow that were there for years and you milked the cow and, you know, you raised the pig and then one day they were gone. Mm. But that's what it was. And then that animal fed the family for a long time. God, if we even got back to that, like you just got back to small towns, you're like making it law that you have to buy meat from whatever. Because all this import export stuff is just brutal. And it's just a barbaric industry, like exporting, importing live animals to slaughter them somewhere else. It's just come on. We've lost the run of ourselves as humans. And I think that's that's almost a positive. I think that when you get to this place where it's almost, it's just reached the end Mm -hmm. and there is a lot of, there's a lot of discussion, there's a lot of talk, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of pushback from these companies that want to continue Mm -hmm. purely because of their finances. Mm -hmm. I think that is showing us that we're we're almost there, we're getting there, we Mm -hmm. just need to keep going. Uh, continue to you know lead by example and i think yeah we're seeing the shift there's a giant shift happening like just ireland as well i seen nothing it felt like nothing happened for 10 years and i was just this weird vegetarian then i started to travel and i was gone for a while and the more i went back to visit i'm like whoa one vegan restaurant two vegan restaurants bam 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 now it's like a vegan festival in dublin my hometown has a place that serves vegan options all these tiny towns in Ireland have like almond milk. I'm like, whoa, what? This is because there's a demand for it. That's as simple as it is. So the more we demand it, the supply chain needs to produce it. And, you know, the product line will change. And for everybody's benefit, which is the beautiful thing. It's like support the farmers, support local, do all of that. All right, Tanya. So where is the, the best place for us to find you? Um, I think I'm most active on Instagram. So you can find me at Tanya O'Callaghan underscore official. I am on Facebook, but I don't use it a whole lot, but it's just my full name. You'll find me pretty easy, but I have a website, tanyaocallaghan.com. And yeah, I'm pretty much on those platforms and you can reach out and I'm pretty active around the world with my base, eating all the plants. (laughs) (laughs) What a gig. That's... That's an awesome way to put it. Just yeah. playing bass, eating plants. I have no idea how this, like, keep the, you know, whatever's next, but just keep following your instinct. And it's it's been a crazy trip so far. And cool. it's like, you can't stop now. I really, you know, can't turn around now. <laughs> so what is the, you know, the, the latest project that you're, that you're working on, you know, as a musician? Mm-hmm. Uh, what are you touring for now? And, um... Yeah, well, you mentioned that you've got a documentary that we need to look out for as well. Yeah, well, I'm, you know, I'm out doing fly days with a couple of different bands. I'm in Boston this week because of the Steven Adler show. And then I go back to L.A. I'm actually working on my own album, um, which is, you know, <laughs> long overdue. It's probably going to take a while. But yeah, multiple bands doing a lot of fly dates and working on a exciting 
documentary-ish project, but I can't really talk about it too much right now because we're just in like getting the basics of it together. But you, you'll s- if you follow me on on Instagram or social media, you'll you'll start to see hints drop soon. So that's taken up a huge amount of my time because it's very exciting. A lot of really really cool people on board using our platforms. It's music related. It's also vegan and activism and food and just like awesome fun stuff related it's gonna be cool there's a lot of cool people involved so yeah i have a, a lot on my plate right now but it's you know hey guys sorry for the abrupt cut off there <laughs> uh, we ran out of no, space on my story. sd card just Can't before wrapping share the it with episode. everyone so uh, apologies it's a really cool story so there were some huge Thank takeaways from this episode for me you are sticking you know, to your gut and really remaining true woman, to yourself is something so important from and the, i think yeah, tanya like is an amazing example of how powerful this can be for our lives i love to talk so earlier in the episode we also spoke about the need to find common ground with people who we don't 100% share views with and opinions with. So we might disagree on a couple of things. To dive into I the don't round, think a lot of this don't means we so ostracize them and give up <laughs> yeah, or ridicule cool them the whole to the point yeah, of exactly. embarrassment. Really enjoyed that. We likely up. have much more Here in common and we can next. help each other <laughs> yeah. to progress yeah, trip, and man. move forward cool. rather than quit, regress or stay stagnant. So let me know what you learned from Tanya by reaching out to me at VegTalk on Instagram. That's V-E-D-G-E-T-A-L-K. I'd love to hear from you. And if you enjoyed the episode and have two to three spare minutes of time, I would really appreciate any reviews and ratings. It's great to get your feedback on my work and also to have the show reach more people around the world. So thank you all to lis- uh, for listening. I love sharing Tanya's story with you and I'll see you next week.